Um, and as they are walking out, uh, if you would like to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 133. I believe the passage is also in the bulletin. If you are smart with your smartphone, feel free to turn there as well. All right. So we're going to be in Psalm 133. Uh, this is a passage that uh, is often sung at the conclusion of presbytery meetings and general assemblies for many different denominations. Um, it's a beautiful, short, sweet psalm um, that speaks on God's community. Uh, it's, I have a, a, an affection for it partly because I had a professor in seminary who would end every class uh, with the singing of this uh, psalm together. Um, and so it holds a special place in my heart, but I think it's also a wonderful place for us to go as a church, especially given all that Cameron has been speaking on and, and the desire that we would be generous um, and, and a praying church and a church that is missional. Um, I think Psalm 133 is an encouraging place for us to go. And so I'm going to ask you to follow along with me as I read that. I'm going to read that passage for us as we get started. Um, and then I would ask that you would join me in praying that God would bless our time together in his word. So once again, we're in Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls in the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it and study it, to have it be the substance of our prayers and our songs even. Um, and we ask that you would bless our time in it now, that you would move by your spirit even as you already have moved this morning, that we would continue as a body even to worship as we give ear to your word, as we consider it. Father, would you... Press it in upon our hearts and help us to apply it, to be challenged by it, encouraged. Father, that you would be glorified in our lives and even in the life of this church, of this gathering of your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So when I went off to college, I did something that I found that many Christian students tend to do, and that is I got involved in a lot of Bible studies. Uh, I'm not saying this to you to impress you <laughs> with my righteousness. Rather, it's quite the opposite. Um, I was dead and weary by the end of my freshman year. It was a hard time. I, I enjoyed college. I'm an extrovert. It wasn't that I struggled to, to make friends. Uh, but I think I was dying because I was in too many Bible studies. So I went from righteous to heathen right there, right? <laughs> um, but sadly, I didn't, I didn't realize that during my first year. It wasn't until I went off uh, for, for mission work in Peru and then later study abroad in Peru that I began to recognize just what was wrong in my life. Um, while I was in Peru, I was very lonely, uh, especially at the beginning of the time. I wasn't great at speaking Spanish. And I think my most spiritually maturing time, the time in which I flourished while I was in Peru, wasn't actually while I was a missionary that summer, but it was when I studied abroad and went to a city called Arequipa and got involved in a local church there. And I only had one Bible study a week, a Bible study with some college-age students there, but I would go, they had multiple nightly meetings, uh, I would go there on Sunday mornings, 
um, I, I loved that church, and I, I grew a lot while I was there. And as it came time to go back to the United States, go back to Davidson, I kind of looked back and thought, what am I going to do now? Like, freshman year was hard, and things have almost been better <laughs> here. Um, and I just recognized that I'd actually deprived myself of real and genuine community. That I'd been so busy doing Christian activities, uh, Bible studies on top of Bible studies, that I, I couldn't really commit myself to any single ministry or church. I hadn't really plugged in and, and, and built deep relationships where discipleship could happen. I was weary and tired. And I think even more than that, I had missed something of God's purpose for me. That in, in considering and thinking of my faith purely in this individualistic uh, manner, I'd actually missed God's wider purpose of what he was doing at that campus and what he was doing among his people in community. And I think the lesson that I learned in some ways the hard way is the lesson that the psalmist, um, that David wants us to learn in Psalm 133. That it's a cry for us to consider in just a few simple verses the beauty and worthiness and goodness of God's community. That it's part of his plan for his people and it's something that we, we dare not neglect. And these this psalm comes in the collection of the Song of Ascents, songs for the people of Israel to sing as they made their way to Jerusalem to worship together. And it was crucial for them to be reminded of the goodness of that community even as they drew near, uh, even as they sang these songs together um, in that journey. And so it's, it's an opportunity for us this morning as well to consider the goodness of God's community, what it is he's calling us into and so we'll do that by taking some time to consider the psalm. We'll begin where the psalmist begins, and that's the, the declaration of a beautiful community. In verse 1, uh, notice the words of the psalmist, um, the declaration that he makes. Behold, don't miss this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is righteous, it is beautiful, it is good. And I think in saying this, he's not just saying, isn't it nice when this happens? <laughs> isn't it nice when it just happens that, that people get along? He's saying something more profound than that, that this is indeed good, that it's part of God's plan, that we were created in the image of a relational triune God, and he intended for us to live in community with others. And the work of redemption is one in which he is bringing together brothers it's something to be pursued. It's something worth living for. And it's not just unity and community for unity and community's sake. It's something that is created by God. Notice that this unity is that of brothers. It's that of a family. We might be inclined to look at that and say, well, you know, maybe he's just talking about the ethnic Israel. But as we move into the New Testament, it becomes clear, doesn't it, that, that one of the, the chief things that Jesus came to do was to make us God's children that we would be a part of this new kingdom with a new citizenship and even members, even as we heard in the assurance of pardon this morning, members of God's household. And so we see our, our Savior Jesus teaching us the beautiful truth that now in him we can call God Father. And we see it carried out in, in all of the writings of the New Testament as Paul consistently prays to God the Father on behalf of the people to whom he's writing. This community isn't just a, let's get along, things would be better if we didn't have problems. This is a community that God has created. And when we pursue it, when we strive to, to live together because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, it is beautiful and it is good. 
Um, we've been working through Ephesians this semester at RUF, um, and one of the themes of that book is that you can't be in Christ without being in community with others. That that's part of God's mysterious plan for the ages, is that all things would be united in Christ, even and especially in the church. And so community isn't optional, and it shouldn't be surprising to us then that when Paul finally comes to chapter 4, and he's spoken so much about what God has done in Christ, that therefore is a call to live worthy of the gospel. And what does it look like to live worthy of the gospel? It means living in community. He says it's, it's pursuing unity because of the one Lord and one faith and one baptism that we have. That, that the gospel should lead to a new humanity in Christ. Um, if, if the gospel is a, a large painting, a beautiful painting that God has painted, uh, the psalmist wants us to be careful that we don't walk up so close to it and get so excited about one little corner of the painting that we miss the rest of it. That if we reduce uh, our faith in Jesus to purely our, our individual walk, our individual faith, our personal goals, our personal growth, we actually are, are just tasting a small slice of the pie. That there's a bigger picture here of what God has been do- doing, and it is good and it is pleasant. It's something worth pursuing, and it creates new goals and a new horizon for us with the opportunity for new and real and true relationships. Um, I think C.S. Lewis said something that was that's relevant even to this passage in speaking on friendship. Um, and, and Lewis says that true friends don't spend time gazing into each other's eyes. They may, may show great tenderness towards each other, but they face in the same direction toward common projects, goals, above all towards a common Lord. And Lewis goes on to talk about how many people who just want friends for friends' sake often are the lonely people who don't have friends because friendship is often about having common goals and interests and moving towards, even on a journey, towards these tasks. Um, And his point is, is that in Christ, in the gospel, we have the greatest horizon. We have the greatest opportunity for for true and lasting friendships because we have been given a new Lord, a a new horizon. We have goals that, that far surpass and exceed Monday night football whatever it is that, that we would naturally be inclined to unite around, um, there's an opportunity for real and lasting community, and it's good and it's pleasant. Another way of putting this is we need y'all in Christianity. Y'all is a beautiful word. It is a great word, and I wish that, that it was in our translations even. You might think I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm not. Uh, there's so many plural yous throughout the Bible so often we, we take those views, and I think this is just part of our culture, and we just read them as individuals. And we apply them individually, and we just think, if I, if I just go to enough Bible studies, and if I read my Bible enough, and I pray enough, that's great. And yet God is calling us into community. Um, the more pointed question might be, what are your friendships built around? This is a very convicting question for me because I know that it's, it's very easy to just fall back on those other interests, right? Uh, it's, it's far less threatening to have a relationship built around what's happening in the NFL or the NBA. Uh, it doesn't get too deep. It doesn't get too personal. It's easy just to say, well, how was work? And just complain about how hard work has been for the last week. Uh, it's, it's easy as students just to talk about how busy you are and commiserate together and not ever really move beyond that. Um, it's so easy for us to just unite around other things other than the Lord. And yet the, the greatest and most beautiful and wonderful and pleasant opportunity for us is to pursue unity together 
in the household of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful community, and it's the context in which we can then be generous. It's the context in which we then can get to know people and actually pray for people's needs and struggles. It's the context in which we then can get to know people to serve them and love them and see how the gifts that God has given us, he's given us so that we can serve others. Um, It's a beautiful community, and it's also a sanctifying community. Uh, The the psalmist gives us two metaphors in this passage for for how this community is so good and pleasant. And the first he gives uh, is in verse 2. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Now, most of us, I think, should have a little bit of trouble understanding that. <laughs> like, unless you just pour oil on one another's heads in your houses, and that's weird if you do, uh, but to each his own. Um, it's just not something we do, right? I was deep frying a turkey a couple days ago. Like, no part of me wanted anyone to put any of that oil upon me. It was a delicious turkey. I loved it but I didn't want any oil on me. Um, So obviously it takes a little bit to think about what it meant in that time period that that being anointed with oil often was was an honor. It was a sign of blessing. Uh, In a dirty and and dusty place, it was one of the ways in which you might actually smell better. So those things are all true, but but this isn't just any general anointing. Uh, It's someone's anointing in particular. It's Aaron's anointing, isn't it? Uh, we have an image that's being painted for us of this oil running down the beard, and, and the beard isn't the beard of a mysterious man. It's certainly not my puny beard. It's the beard of Aaron, and it runs down even to his robes, perhaps even drawing into that image the picture of, of Aaron clothed in his priestly robes, being anointed for the task of the priesthood, being set apart and set aside as holy to serve God's people. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful, sanctifying blessing. Um, Charles Spurgeon put it this way when speaking on this passage. Speaking of the oil, it has a special use about it. For as by the anointing oil Aaron was set apart for the special service of Jehovah, even so those who dwell in love are the better fitted to glorify God in his church. Um, One of the things that's so beautiful about this community is it's part of God's plan to set us apart to sanctify us, to make us look more and more like his son, Jesus. And it's something that doesn't happen in isolation from one another. That he actually calls us into this community. And as we seek to love each other in the household of faith, God is actually doing a work in our hearts. That the Holy Spirit is active among us in our giftings and our callings to set us apart even as, oil, as Aaron was set apart by this anointing oil. Um, one of the ways that I think is helpful to think about this that was used in our premarital counseling that I thought was helpful was this general picture of the gospel as a mirror. And I think it's a good way of thinking about the gospel. That it's something that when it's held up to us, it shows us who we truly are and we begin to see who God truly is. And we see why we need the sort of savior that we needed. Um, so, so the gospel as a mirror is, I think, a helpful metaphor. And something that, that my campus minister made a point of saying to Kelly and I as we were preparing to get married was, Marriage is one of those places where you have the opportunity to hold that mirror up to the other. Not in a vindictive way, not in a, see what's wrong with you? (laughs) Like, can you see in this mirror? Obviously, that's not what he meant. But it's an opportunity for God to do a work in our lives that that couldn't be done otherwise. That there's ways in which Kelly can hold up the mirror of the gospel to me that I can't do on my own. And that's true of all of God's community. 
that there's ways in which we can hold the gospel up to one another. We can speak the truth and love to one another in ways that perhaps at times we can't bear to speak to ourselves or we can't see to speak to ourselves. And that's why there's so many calls in the New Testament to one another, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. This is part of God's plan for his people. So why is it that we want to be alone? Why is it that it's so easy to to not be involved in those sort of relationships? I think we need to readily recognize that even though it's beautiful and it's sanctifying, it's also hard. Um, If you think of the anointing of Aaron, it's it's hard for me to imagine being set aside, uh, being anointed, even in my own ordination, I think something similar, being anointed and set apart for God's service and not having a healthy fear and trembling. That it's, it's a terrifying task to some degree to be owned by the holy triune God. And for him to say to us, I am going to do a work in you and in my people. And I'm going to use you in that work. And yet that is the vision of the Bible, isn't it? That, that God would raise up for himself a kingdom of priests. That he would be about this work among his people. And so I don't think it's hard for us to see why this would be hard. And even as we hear these words, presumably we're hearing them from David. (laughs) Do you think he he understood how difficult this can be to attain? (laughs) How easy it is to be divided even among God's people? The hostilities he experienced even in his own household. Uh, There might even been a hint of desperation as he wrote these words. Uh, It's hard. Getting involved in other people's lives is messy if you really believe in this sin thing. And I know we say we do, but when it comes to the day-to-day grind, it's so easy to forget it. It's so easy for me to get upset that God would allow someone else's mess into my life. And how sad that I would have that thought, even as I'm called to be a minister of the gospel, that I should be excited and privileged to have the, the opportunity to share in someone's struggle. That someone would open up about their suffering to me is, is part of what God desires to see happen uh, as, as he raises up for himself a kingdom of priests. And the final thing that we see, the final metaphor we have in this passage, I think it's so helpful as perhaps we tremble at this calling is that this is not just a sanctifying community, it's a refreshing community. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, that it's not just the place where God is going to do all that twisting and turning and molding of sanctification, but it's also the place where we're going to find refreshment. It's a place for those that find themselves dry and weary. The image is one of of a a tall, tall peak that perhaps had a glacier or or snow and and the, the, the dew, the cooling dew coming down upon a desert land. Um, it was something that I got to experience uh, while I was in Peru, actually. The, the Andes mountain range, the second highest mountain range in the world, runs through that country. It's mostly desert. The city I was in, Arequipa, was about seven or 8,000 feet um, above sea level. And then it was surrounded by several volcanic mountains, and one of which was called Misty. And I think it was 21 or 22,000 feet. And most of the time while I was there, there wasn't much snow on it at all, if any. Uh, but I remember one morning we woke up, and a huge snowstorm had happened, and half the mountain was covered in white. It was crazy. I mean, it's just a dry, deserty place, not many things growing. Um, and, and that week, you could feel a new, cool breeze that wasn't there before. 
Uh, it was one of the strangest things. And it was so nice. Uh, and I think that's the image that, that we're to have here in this passage. That God plans for his community to be a place where we can find refreshment. Where we can come together and confess, even as we have together in our worship this morning, confess our sin together. And admit to one another that we are broken. That we are in need of this Savior. That we are in need of the same grace that our neighbor needs. And that when that happens, when we gather together in the, in the household of God, we can find refreshment. Um, John Calvin put it in, in fairly strong terms uh, in speaking on this passage. He said, the life of man would be sapless, unprofitable, and wretched unless sustained by brotherly harmony. And one of the reasons I included that comment is because my heart wants to say that's an overstatement. I don't know about you, but my heart almost wants to be like, whoa, hold on a second, Calvin. <laughs> if I have Jesus, are we really going to say that my life is going to be unprofitable and wretched? That's just me being honest. That's the, the natural thought that comes to mind as I, I read that sort of quote. And yet it's so revealing, isn't it, of my tendency to separate my faith in Jesus from my belonging to Jesus' people. That, that I want to, to take those things, separate those things out and say, but wait a second, I can still have that profitable, flourishing life with Jesus, right? Jesus is enough. We don't want to say Jesus isn't enough. That'd be awful. And yet, Jesus' plan for you is not that you would be apart from his people. It's that you would be refreshed in community, even as we sing songs and spiritual songs and hymns to one another, even as we gather together and, and are willing to be honest about how badly things are going with our jobs, um, that we do need help around the house. Um, it's an opportunity for us to experience the refreshing of Christ, that we can point one another to that, that never-ending fount, the place where sinners can find refreshment. Um, as we come to the end of the psalm, it ends with a very strong declaration, the strongest of the psalm itself. Uh, perhaps we might even say a promise. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I think it's so important that, that as we see Psalm 133 and the call to be in community with one another, the call to pursue one another, we need to see that this call isn't just based on pragmatism. It's not just a, hey guys, there's these other nations over here, and when they started focusing on unity, that's when things really went well for them. It's not a, hey, look at the big churches in Atlanta. When they started talking a lot about community, they grew. <laughs> we should talk about community. Um, rather, it's a promise that, that, that it, this is to be pursued because this is where God has commanded his blessing. That God has commanded that his blessing would be located among his people. That when his people gather together, even when it doesn't seem to be the reality, even when it seems hard and dry and weary, that his blessing would be there. That he would be at work among his people to shape them into the image of his son. That he would be at work among his people to refresh them. And that that community, as, as dry and weary as it may appear at times, is... is Tired as it may appear, it's beautiful, it's good, it's pleasant. It's something worthy of our pursuit. It's something worthy of our pursuit even as we move forward as a church. 
um, that we would see that, that the call to be generous and to be faithful in prayer and to, to be missional and serving one another in our community, it's to happen in the context of God's community. Um, and I think that's something that Cameron has pointed to us to consistently. Uh, would you pray with me now as we close our time together?